First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to finish it up here in the next 30 or so minutes. Church is a young church. They've been hanging out with the Lord for three weeks when Paul was there. You know, people came to the Lord. He was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. Came in, born again. God's radically doing things. Lives are changing. A lot of questions. A lot of questions around, hey, uh, what's up with the second coming of Christ? When does that happen? How does that work? Questions about how then now shall we live? What happens to those who have died before us? What, what, what's going on? So how many of you, when you come to the Lord, you have a lot of questions? How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a while, have answers to all those questions? Because I'm looking for some answers right now. Yeah, it seems like the, more, the longer we walk with the Lord, the more questions we have. And that's just awesome because we find out that God isn't so small. And He's huge. And my problems are really big. And I might think when I first come to the Lord, you know, there's some surface problems. But it's amazing how the longer I walk with the Lord, the depth of, of who He really is in light of who I really am what He actually saved me from, who He actually saved as I peel back the layers of my life and I'm introduced into different relationships and circumstances that reveal the depravity and the fallenness of my heart. And the Lord goes, okay, you ready for, you know, lesson 578? You know, it's like, okay, boy, by grace am I saved. Thank you, Lord. And so this young church is growing in the Lord. They're asking a lot of questions. And now Paul is going to talk about some final instructions, verses 12 through 28, and he's just going to lay out some general uh, uh, teachings that the church needs to hear, adhere to. This is, and by, by no means, it's not uh, exhaustive, but it nails some things that they would probably need to know as they're corresponding back and forth. And so Paul, here in 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 he says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. And so one of the things that Paul wants to talk about is that he wants them to honor highly, esteem highly those who are working hard among them. You know, one of the things that... Uh, that the Lord Jesus hates, is he hates when pastors, when uh, religious leaders rule over the people. The deeds of the Nicolaitans, are, it's called in Revelation. The uh, priesthood ruling over the laity, the common person. The hierarchy that gets um, put in place. Man just can't help it. We have to create structures and organize things in a way that... Um, I am elevated and you are decreased. You know, the, the picture that Jesus Christ gave, the, the, the command that was given is that the disciples would be servants. And that word, the idea was that they'd be under rowers. And, and it's not even, if you picture an old Roman boat, there's a couple different levels and they'd have people rowing underneath and the picture is that you aren't even on the top deck, you're not even on the second deck, you're on the bottom deck, and you're just rowing. And the idea is it's toilsome labor. Toilsome labor. Of course, there's joy in the Lord, but that's the idea of a servant of the Lord. And so God is 
giving us a picture here of, of what a leader is to be to the church and also what the uh, picture of what the, a leader in the church is to do. And so he's, ta- he's speaking specifically to people who are elders and leaders within the church, pastors per se, all those types of people. And so um, you're just esteem them. And what does that mean? I'm to esteem them. I serve with some other people, don't I, do I not? I have people who are over me in Christ. I'm, I am not the top dog. I'm, I'm submitted to Jesus. I'm submitted to the elder board. To esteem them highly who work hard among you. That means to, that you can't even put enough emphasis on that word esteem. But notice it says, in love. In love. This is not to put people on a pedestal, but it means, I think, generally to be praying for, to be loving, to be concerned with how they're doing. And I don't like preaching on this passage because I feel totally loved. I feel totally taken care of by you. I feel prayed for, all those types of things. But it, nevertheless, it's in front of us. And so, like Gary, you know, we esteem him highly. We, we praise the Lord for the hard work he does among you. And so, we want to be lifting him up, praying for him constantly. And he says here, for those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord. In the Lord. You know that word care is not, ah, oh, I care for you and pat you on the back. It's superintend. That's the word, a superintendent, who are superintendents among you, who are leaders, who are caring to the things that are necessary for you to grow in the Lord, to be edified, to be all that you can be in Christ Jesus. Amen those superintendents who work hard among you, who superintend for you in the Lord, who manage and who admonish you. Notice there's the admonishment. Not my favorite thing in my job description. Who likes to be admonished? Stephen. (laughs) Admonish means to warn or exhort. And so part of the role of a leader in the church is to care for, to superintend, but also to do what? to warn and exhort. Paul constantly is going back and forth between those situations. There are those that need to be warned, and there are those that need to be comforted and encouraged. There are those, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And so that's the role there of a leader, and that's what you're looking for in a, in, in a spiritual leader, someone who's working hard at caring for those who are there, so the administration part, but also the leadership, but the spiritual care of people, the physical care, yes, and the admonition, uh, walking in the fear of the Lord, encouraging people in those things. He says, hold them in the highest regard, in love, in love, because of their work, not because of their position, but because of what they're doing, what God has called them to do. And then he says this wonderful verse is, live in peace with each other. And it's sandwiched in between uh, 13 and, and 14 here. It says, live in peace with each other. Now, that word for peace, uh, live in peace, with, is, is harmony. Live in harmony with one another. I have my wonderful guitar here, my trusty friend. And one of the things I love about guitars is that is harmony. This is not harmony. So when we're singing, and I'm going, you know, your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness, 
That's not harmony. Not in harmony. We're not grooving together. And so when we have the body of Christ, we hear Jesus. He's our lead. He's our root note. And we're to get in step with him. And when we're all doing that, right? It sounds cool. But what happens sometimes is what happens is some of us will get a little bit off. Even that sounds cool. I like that chord. But yeah, let's do that. That's sometimes me, by the way. Often, it's I'm this guy. But we're to be in harmony with the Holy Spirit and with each other. We live in peace with one another. And one of the things the Lord says in Matthew chapter 5, I think verse 12, is he says, have salt among one another. Salt, what does it do? We know it preserves. It seasons. What else does it do? Like if you have a wound purifies and cleanses. It doesn't feel good, does it? So Jesus, on one hand, says, have salt among each other. And on the other hand, what does he say? And live in peace. Salt and peace with each other. So we're to be salty with one another and have peace. You can't have peace without salt. There's that constant edification, sanctification, Christianese words for becoming more like Jesus that's happening in the body of Christ. And when we are not engaged in salt and in peace, our lives don't have peace. If We don't have salt in it. And so he's being be salty, and, and that's a good thing. And so in 1 Thessalonians here, he's saying, live in peace with each other. In other words, I, I see it as one hand, submit to your leaders. Recognize that God's put them there. Pray for them. If you have differences, work it out. Pray it out. Talk it out. Don't murmur, right? How many of you have disagreed with things I've done? Okay. How many? Come on, raise your hands. All right. Are we taking note ushers? <laughs> have I disagreed with the things you've done? No. I love you. Everything's great. <laughs> How do we deal with those things? We pray, we talk to one another, we see, if, and we work through those things. And so that, through that process, I learned, wow, I could have handled that differently. I could have said that differently. That really hurt that person the way that I came about that. And we're all growing in the Lord, amen? But if we let things go and we just kind of let things fester and let, let a root of bitterness come in our hearts, then there can be no peace among us. We'll be discorded. We'll have discord among us. And so godliness is talking about things with one another, realizing we might not see the eye to eye, but we go to the word and say, this is what I see. This is what's going on. You could have handled that better or whatever it might be. And we go and we pray about it with one another. But so live in peace with one another has salt involved with it. Amen? But it also means that be long-suffering with one another. Realize we're not there yet. I realize that about most of you. Right? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at. That's, what I'm, that's the whole motive behind this talk. Have mercy upon Matt. <laughs> Hold him in highest regard, but live with peace with one another. Now, here's the second part. So you have us as, as sheep saying, hold the leadership in high regard, and now he talks to you, how do you deal with everybody else? And so this is where the peace and the salt comes in. And we urge you... That's you, write down me above you in your Bible, 
We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. You are called to the ministry of admonition. Warn is that same word that the leadership does. They warn. You are called to the ministry of warning people. Did you know that? Admonition. That's what it is. Biblical, right there. You see something that's kind of crazy and offbeat? Warn those who are, what? Idle and disruptive. Now, those word for idle and disruptive, those are, that's one word in the Greek. And the person's trying to, to relay something that is only used once in the Bible. That word is only used once in the Bible. And the picture is you have a bunch of soldiers. They're marching, and one of them is either slow or they're disrupting the formation. Does that make sense? They're idle. They're standing there, and everybody's walking around, and they're causing you know, traffic jam or they are literally just bumping people in line or whatever it is. That's the picture. They're not in harmony. They're not in, in step with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I often can move into that role of idleness or disruptiveness in my walk with the Lord, and it affects you. It does. It affects my family. And so part of your roles as brothers and sisters, when you see people who are idle and disruptive, who are out of rank. And I know in this, this, this society where we worship individuality, we worship all those things, uh, we, 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 we want to be quirky and, you know, have crazy beards and all the things, you know what I mean? Which is cool, Larry. <laughs> Not that I'm profiling anybody. I, yeah, I, if I could grow a beard, I would. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Right? We want, we want to be, and that's okay. But when in, the Lord is not calling us to individuality, He's calling us into a family. Into a family. How many of you are born into families? Okay, cool. Well, you just got born into the family of God, and you have a bunch of crazy brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and grandmothers and, and grandpas, Right? And so this is why we see things in scriptures, older ladies teach the younger women how to be wives and mothers and how to live godly roles. Older men, man, teach those younger guys about how to restrain passions and all this type of stuff. There's these roles that God's given us that we would glorify God together. When people look at our family, they're to see what rep, our father, his values, his heart, his ways of doing things emulated through our family. That's what this is in here. This is our family. And you only get in one way. You don't have membership. You're a blood bought. He has to adopt you. And how does he adopt you? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith. And that's it. And you're in. And now we're adopted and now we learn what our heavenly Father, no matter what our earthly fathers have taught us, our heavenly Father, who that is, and He is now my banner. He is now my guide. I now mimic Him in everything He does. And then how I relate with people, that's the kingdom of God that Jesus is teaching everyone about that I'm walking in, you're learning in. So we're this family. So warn those who are idle. And He says the second thing, encourage the disheartened. You ever notice the disheartened don't need admonishment? You know, some of us just have one skill set. (laughs) 
We got to be careful. Some people who are disheartened, faint-hearted is the word. They don't need to be told, psh, psh, psh. they need to be lifted up and encouraged. And some people that we're trying to encourage need to be admonished. We need to have discernment from the Lord in that, and that's how the body of Christ works. There are people who are faint-hearted, who don't need to be crushed, who need to be lifted up. And I need more discernment in that area. I need to be taught by the Lord. You know, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't bend a bruised reed, and yet he, he said some serious things for some Pharisees, did he not? And so there's the ministry of encouragement. There's the ministry of coming alongside that word encourage and equipping, training, teaching uh, in a way that, that, that nurtures a heart that is faint, that's feeble, that's weak. And so recognize that when you're in that situation, there's a time for encouragement. Encouraging, and then also then help the weak. And it's that same idea, to help. And that word help means to bear the burden of the weak. There will always be the weak among us, you know, and, and how many of you have, have been very strong in your lives at one point, and then all of a sudden a situation comes in, a relationship happens, a, a job or an injury or whatever it is, and you find yourself incredibly weak where you were once strong. Help the weak. We're called to that ministry. Notice your role is to admonish, to encourage, to help. You see that in the body of Christ? How's that working out for you? In the people in this room, have you been actively involved in that and praying for people, seeking people out, finding out what's going on in your own family? Start there, right? Work our way out. That's your role. You're, you have a, a calling and a role. And, and be patient with everyone. Be long-suffering. Have a spirit of long-suffering like the Lord. Realize that God is working out a plan. Rest in Him. Take time. It's not going to happen overnight. I'll see people and I go, gosh, you know, they've got a lot of work. <laughs> and when I start doing that, <laughs> I'll have a conversation with Christine. She's like, uh, yeah, I've been praying the same thing for someone I know. <laughs> you know, be patient with others. The way that you would like God to be patient with you and need it. Amen? I need that. And so be patient. And make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Some of you say have the word evil for evil. It's, wrong is more probably translated. The word in the Greek is kakos. Don't replay kakos for kakos. Don't do that. Don't give that stuff back and forth. Yes, I'm making a joke. We aren't to trade evil for evil, bad for bad. That's not to be our MO. That's not how we work. They throw it at us, we don't throw it at them. What does Jesus say to do when people treat you poorly? Turn the other cheek. Why? Why would the Lord want to do that? Let's have some people. First uh, Peter chapter three verse nine. Who wants to read that? Raise your hand if you want to read. First Peter three verse nine. Denise, and then we have Romans twelve seventeen. Who will get that one? Doug. Sorry, beat you. 
Let me know when you're there, Denise. First Peter three verse nine. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Do not repay evil with evil, but rather evil with a blessing. That's weird. Does that sound like the family you grew up in? But guess what? You got adopted into a new family, and your dad works differently now. He doesn't repay evil for evil. So when you get hurt, what is our natural tendency? The empire strikes back, right? What does he say to do? Commit it to the Lord. Repay it for a blessing. That's hard. Romans 12, 17, was it? Or, yeah. Did you? Oh, who had it? Doug did. Okay, go for it. boy, why would you want to not repay evil for evil? He says, be careful what you're doing because who's watching? When you as a Christian decide to go ahead and talk back about that person who just talked about you or you decide to retaliate or you decide to do that, guess what that does to your witness? People look at him and go, they're a Christian in name only. Jesus does not live in them because that's not the God that they say they worship. He's the one who was mocked and ridiculed yet trust, entrusted himself to the Lord. And this is difficult because I don't know about you, but I like justice when it's not for me. <clears throat> Pray about this in your lives. When someone talks badly about you this week, when someone... Uh, doesn't represent you right, when someone attacks you in some other way, instantly start going, how can I bless them? How can I bless them? How can I bless them? If God did not do that for us, where would we be? When we struck him, we mocked him, we betrayed him with our actions, our lives, and what happened? Yet he died for us, and he blessed us. And so, Pray for that this week. Let that be the heart of your Father in us. Rejoice always. Another one. I'm sorry, uh, almost there. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And so not just paying back wrong for wrong. Don't do that, but actually strive to do good. And you can guess the word strive is something that's not easy, is it? Striving to good, do good. Paying evil for evil is really easy. It just comes naturally, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Claws out, boom. We're you know, I can think of 50 ways to drop you. But thinking of ways to bless people, <laughs> the word is to run after, to chase, to pursue. Pretend like there's, there's some animal you want to catch and you don't have a bow and you don't have a, anything, but you just got to run and tackle it. That's what he's talking about. It's not easy. Ah, you're chasing a chicken. You know, you're running after, you know, I'll do something slower, like a goat or something, you know. But I mean, it's hard, right? 
That's how we're supposed to pursue loving one another and blessing one another. It's something that's not going to come naturally. It's not going to come easily. It's going to be difficult. It might involve a little bit of pain and blood in your life. A little self-denial. And this is what we're called to. For each other in here and others, everyone else outside, who are your neighbors, right? Verse 16 Here's a real easy one. Rejoice always. Verse 16, you could spend a year on that one. Rejoice always. Now, I don't think in this context, if we look in the context, what's he talking about? Persecution in the church. They're being persecuted. They're being treated poorly. And so Paul's training them on how to be Christians in these circumstances. And rejoice in those circumstances. Why do we rejoice in those circumstances? Matthew 5, right? Rejoice when you're persecuted for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. Just as Jesus suffered, so you will suffer. You identify with the cross. You know that you're his in those circumstances. You know that he will be the avenger of all such things. You just entrust him with those things. There's, a, there's so many wor- verses there, I don't, uh, we, we can come back to that a different day. But it says, pray continually. How many of you pray continually? If you notice, some people will pray at specific times in the day, and that's cool. We see Daniel praying three times during the day. Pray continually. What does that mean? When you're walking around, talk to God. Just have a conversation. I talk to him about everything. And sometimes I'll continue to talk and I'll call someone Lord. I'm like, hey, Lord, I mean, Christine. <laughs> She's all, yes. No, I'm just kidding. But it'll happen. Just have a continual conversation with Jesus in your heart. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Have a grateful heart. Is it difficult in your life? Is your body falling apart? Are you having a hard time financially? Are relationships difficult? Be grateful because your Redeemer will redeem the circumstance. It looks hard right now. Everything's fallen down upon you, but have that heart of Job. Though he slay me, I know that my Redeemer lives. We're grateful people. We know the end game. We win. Amen? You're going to win. You might be playing like the Seahawks on that last play there and throw the interception. Yeah, it's horrible. But in the end, you win. We win. We, we win. Jesus won it for us. We know the last page of the book. And we're waiting, and that's where our gratefulness is. That's where our hope is. That's where we get our joy, knowing that it will all work out. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Faith is expressed in in those circumstances we're living as if we're there now. And so let it flow and, and be grateful when things are hard. Things are hard for me right now. My body's not working right. There's a lot to complain about, and I do. You know, we've we got to find a place to live within 20 days. Thank you very much. You know, I mean... Blah, blah, blah. I can go down the road. I am so grateful. I am thankful. And that is not something that comes naturally. That is something I need to cultivate. 
because my emotions will do what? I have a pity party, and I'll stay there. And so I have to choose to worship. I have to choose to seek Him. I have to choose to listen to what He says and say, that is truth, regardless of how I feel. And it changes. The emotions follow later. It takes me some time. It does. I'm an emotional person. I'm passionate about things. I, get, I have highs and lows. You know, the sun's out, I'm doing okay. Goes away, and it's like, why have you forsaken me? You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, what was with that? Anyways. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Underline, circle that. God's will for you. That's what he wants for you this week. And then he sandwiches this verse, verse 19, between what we just talked about and what he's going to talk about. Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit is often pictured as fire. Is he not? Fire. The Holy Spirit came down and fire upon the people. Tongues of fire. Do not quench the Spirit. John Davin, what puts out fire? A little bit of water. Water can put out some fire. What else puts out fire? fire? Well, like what? Well, oxygen. Like if you have oxygen, too much oxygen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, you go ahead and you, if you starve the fire, and what happens? It gets put out. You don't give it oxygen. You don't give it fuel. Don't quench the spirit. Things that quench the spirit, I would say, are returning evil for, repaying evil for evil, being ungrateful, being people who are not living in the light of the reality of Jesus Christ and his return. So you can take all those things before and say that is quenching the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. Those things put out the fire of God. And also the things that follow verse 19 do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And so another way that we can quench the Spirit is to reject prophecy. One is to have an attitude of the heart that says, you know, I'm going to repay evil for evil. I'm going to give what I get. I'm only going to, I'm living for me, this selfish life. I'm ungrateful in all my circumstances. There's no faith involved there. And then the other part I would say, is, is quenching the Spirit. In other words, rejecting what God has to say to you. Prophecy, an active gift within the New Testament. It's not extinguished today. It's still happening. And this is the thing about prophecy. It is when the Holy Spirit fills a person and they speak a word from God to a person. Like Agabus, who told Paul, don't go or do go, and this is from the Lord. And what does it say to do with prophecy? Not to despise it. How many of us just despise that kind of stuff? We instantly dismiss it. You have quenched the Spirit. You've quenched it. Repent. That is for today. Oh, you don't have to repent, little buddy. I hear you. I can come across that way, all right? So, you know what I'm talking about, right? We instantly assume that because it's charismatic, that it's evil. You know, how many of you come from conservative backgrounds? I came, I raised a Southern Baptist, right? But then my dad got TBN saved, so look out. 
Then I got to Calvary Chapel that, that taught the gifts of the Spirit but never exercised them. All that type of stuff. So, I mean, I've, I've had fun in the body of Christ. I've had fun. And I just look at this and go, you know what? Don't despise when someone says, I think the Lord is saying this. Or they have a verse on their heart. When we start our Wednesday night meeting, what do I ask? What's God been teaching? Does anybody have a verse on their heart? Does someone have something that they feel like the Lord wants to share? Why? Because I don't despise those things. I expect God to move. And what does he say to do with those things? What do you do? You test them. You better be testing them because that's how crazy stuff happens also, right? And so, yeah, share. And so if I'm someone who has a word, you know, I want to be shut down and the enemy's talking to me, say, don't say anything, you're crazy, don't say anything, don't say anything, be quiet because you'll end up edifying the body and it'll be miraculous and, or I could be wrong. This is why they're to operate what? This is why when God is talking about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, he sandwiches it right in the middle with the love chapter. It's to be done in love. My motive for prophesying, for sharing something, a word from the Lord to someone, is their edification, their being built up, their love. And so I deny myself and I go ahead and I share. And then it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter what, 14, 15, how that's to operate within the context of a Sunday morning. We won't get into that right now, but don't quench it. Test it. Be a Berean. Take it to the Word and say, is this really what you say? Does this, is there somewhere in here that I can find that, that would contradict what you're saying? And then you talk to godly people around you and pray over those things and say, is that what the Lord would have to say? And then you come to a sense as God's with this. And that's what happened in that New Testament church when they when they were in, in, in Acts chapter 15, we are almost done, believe it or not. In Acts chapter 15, they went ahead and they said, it seemed best to us in the Holy Spirit that you not do these things. That's how they came about it. They were in the word, they were in prayer together and they sought the mind of God and they said, this is what it feels like the Holy Spirit is saying. It doesn't contradict scripture and it seems to be edifying the body and they went ahead and they put it out there. And that's what they went around, that's what Paul and Barnabas are going through teaching right now to these churches. How to live godly in Christ Jesus. We like to be very booky. I like to be, uh, you know, I teach the word, right? But there's the Holy Spirit. His word is spirit. And we need to allow that into our lives. Allow those words to come into our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And don't be scared because guess what's going to happen with what you say? We're going to take it and put it against the word and then we're going to see what happens. And that's the way it works. So don't despise those things. Don't quench the spirit. But test them and hold on to what is good and get rid of the evil. If it's evil, you call it out. Reject every kind of evil. And now the end, may God himself, the God of peace. What kind of God do we serve? A God of peace. Peace comes through Christ Jesus. He brings peace to hearts that are broken. The God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. That word sanctify, again, set apart for a holy purpose. It is not, this, this special glass is not to be used to dish out the dog food or whatever it might be, it is used for a specific purpose. And that is what we are. We are no longer common. We're not to be used to be engaged in, in the worldly activities of the flesh. You're now set apart. 
We're no longer to be sexually immoral. We're to be chaste until the day of marriage to be married. We're to not be talking to one another in ways that we should not, cutting down each other. We're not to be repaying evil for evil, but rather paying good for evil. This is our new life in Christ Jesus that, by the way, the Holy Spirit has empowered us now to live. Amen? We're empowered to live that life. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, all the way through. And may your whole spirit, may your whole spirit, your pneuma, where we get the word pneumatics, the spirit, the breath within you, the part that relates to God, your new spirit, your soul, which is the word psyche, the part of your mind that relates to other human beings and your thinking and your emotions and your body, your soma, your flesh, may all three of those be kept blameless without cause for censure. May you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we're to live in view of that. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Okay, I've got to I've got to sanctify my mind and my body and my soul, and this is how uh, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Put your eyes upon Jesus. There's definitely a call to be sanctified. Chapter 4, verse 3, Paul says, sanctify yourselves. And yet, he says that God will sanctify you. And this is how it works. You're saved, but work out your salvation through fear and trembling. You have faith, work it. You're sanctified. You're set apart. God has set you apart. Set yourself apart because he set you apart. That's the way it works. And so church, there's a calling upon you, a blessing upon you this week. You have been set apart. You have been saved, but he's also called you to follow in that as children of the Lord. Not just sit in it, live in it. So let the Lord Put your eyes fully upon Jesus Christ who's going to come and save you in that last day who has saved you and who is saving you. Live it out in all that persecution you're experiencing, all those troubles in your life this, this month, like the Thessalonians. Amen? He is Lord, and he loves you, and he's with you. And he's called you to great and glorious things. Lord God, I ask that your spirit would rest upon your church this morning. Your family, this family in heart right here, my brothers and sisters, my dear redeemed ones. And I pray that you would increase our ability to sense your presence, Father, to know your kingdom and to live it out. Help us to live to glorify you and shine so brightly, not only in our words, but in our actions and how we live, that this world around us would see Christ crucified and risen again. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.